1: Your host is Nick Moran, and this is the Full Ratchet.
0: Welcome to another release of Investor Stories. On this installment, the experts talk about their investment philosophy, how they evaluate early stage startups, and how that may be unique from other venture investors. Here is the segment called Venture Investor Strategy. On today's special segment, we have Mark Peter Davis of Interplay Ventures. Mark, can you talk about your thesis and also how you evaluate early-stage startups for investment and maybe mention aspects of your approach that may be unique from other venture investors?
2: Yeah. So on the foundry side, it's a little different. We're looking for companies where we think we have an unfair competitive advantage given the platform we have at Interplay. We've founded 10 companies that have built kind of the service layer platform for the venture community. So that out of that comes lots of opportunities to build and continue to add value. On the in- investing side, we're very uniquely agnostic. Uh, so we're stage agnostic, sector agnostic, and geography agnostic. I don't believe I can come up with every great idea that's ever going to be done and go find the company that's going to do that. I believe in sourcing wisdom of the crowds and letting the innovation <laughs> flow in. I am looking specifically for patterns. And the great thing is if you're an investor for a while, and I've been doing this for about a decade now, you get startup flashcards. You start to see so many of these things, maybe you know a couple thousand a year. You start to see what's going to work and what's not. I'm looking for teams that are in place that make sense. They've been able to get burner traction on a relatively limited amount of capital, so capital efficiency, real understanding. I like having a real understanding of the path to revenue and the pain point that's being solved. And for me, I generally like to see things where they have some traction and require it, but it's wonderful when people walk in, they're like, look, we're doing this thing We're doing X per month. It's growing at this rate. There's risk about us growing it, but we feel like we know there's two or three levers and the levers make sense. And obviously they have to go learn and figure it out. Those are easier bets where I I like to get involved and be helpful in any way I can. On today's special segment, we have Jeffrey Carter.
0: Jeffrey, can you talk about your thesis and or how you evaluate and select early stage startups? And why do you approach investing with this philosophy?
1: So you'll hear the same thing over and over from seed stage investors, I think. (laughs) We invest in people first, right? We invest in teams. For me, yeah, I invest in people. I like sort of companies that are not consumer-facing generally. I won't rule them out, but I've done some B2C, but I really like B2B companies that work from one business to another, Because your target market is much more focused and less fickle. The problems that you're solving are more tangible in general. So it's easier to build a business once you find product market fit, I think. That being said, I think B2C businesses are the ones that sell for billions and billions and billions of dollars. There is no Snapchat for B2B right now, right? It's a B2C company. There is Yammer sold for a lot less than Facebook did right? Yammer was B2B Facebook. So you have to recognize that. So it makes you structure the deals differently. But getting back to like why I am the way I am, I was a floor trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange for 25 years. So I was belly to belly with people all the time, or belly to back or belly to butt or however you want to call it. And that changes you as a person. That makes you a different kind of investor. I've always been very, very highly competitive, Being a floor trader really heightened that sense of competition. But at the same time, floor trading was a people business. It was a people business first before anything else. And being that it was a super highly charged, highly competitive environment with lots of emotion and that it was a people business, you had to get along if you were going to be a part of any sort of big trade. Venture capital is very similar to that highly competitive but it's a people business and so the characteristics that i developed over 25 years as a floor trader allow me to quickly ascertain if people are good people or bad people first of all and then over time figure out in a short period of time i'm not talking about years figure out if they can execute or not on the floor you know our saying was your word is your bond at ethos really resonates with me. My first school was the US Air Force Academy where they have an honor code and I like that way of doing business. I like to be able to talk to people and your word is your bond and you don't necessarily find that in DC a lot. I think there's a lot of not liars but just people that aren't saying what they really believe and a lot of people will drop into MBA catchphrases and stuff rather than just be plain and transparent mm-hmm. and So I like to deal with entrepreneurs that are plain and transparent. That's what sort of separates my investment style from a lot of other people's where they'll get really deep down in the weeds on this sort of potential or that or business model. Business model is great. You got to look at it and you got to ascertain it. But at its core, it's a people business and you have to be able to size up people pretty quickly. Another thing about floor trading that translates pretty rapidly is you can do all the due diligence you want. And there's people in the angel world and investing world. They will gnaw on that deal like a dog does a bone until there's nothing left and then try to make a decision. And you just don't have that luxury of time with seed stage investing. Right. You have got to figure it out pretty quickly. You've got to make a decision, and it comes down to almost a gut feel and a leap of faith, which, hey, that's floor trading, man. You took 50 different pieces of information that were confronting you at once. With people screaming in your ear and pushing you physically, back and forth, with your own money on the line, and you had to synthesize a trading decision within SEC, and then act on it, and then manage it. So once you made the decision, there were emotional highs and lows that went into it. What do you do with your losers? How do you get out of your losers? How do I handle failure? How do I handle this? And all that is wrapped up in the seed stage entrepreneurship, and it's directly translatable. That being said, with floor trading, there's always an out. It just costs you, right? So if you got a bad one, You can get out, you can recoup some of your capital, or even though you lost money, you can fight another day. With seed stage investing, once you're in, you're all in, and there is no outdoor. So it's like the old Roach Motel commercial. You can get in, but you can't get out. If you want to get out and people let you out, you probably don't want to get out. You probably want to reinvest. So that part of it's very different. The time horizon is very different. You know, you're talking about a seven to 10 year holding period, not seconds or minutes or days or
0: months. Feels a little bit like the poker table. Once you get the chips in, you can't take them back.
1: Yeah. Early stage investing, it's really interesting. Fred Wilson made this point and I love it because early stage investing is paying the ante and you get to see (laughs) your cards and you get to manage them. And then you get to decide on every round if you want to be in or out. And so if you got a good hand, boy, you can really press your bet. Late-stage investing is all the cards have been dealt, you got to pay up all the previous annies and put in way more money, and you don't even know what the cards are. So in a weird, perverse sort of way, later-stage investing, if that's all you do is, you know, I only invest Series D or later, is riskier than seed-stage investing because seed-stage investing is smaller check sizes. You get the optionality of investing throughout the deal. And you get to take full advantage of pro rata rights in later rounds. where there is late stage, you're all in on every hand. Yep. And so either it works or it doesn't.
0: I still got to ask more folks that don't follow on and don't negotiate for a pro rata, why that is their philosophy and why they wouldn't want an option at a later stage to press Yammer or press a Facebook or a Groupon.
1: Sure. It's an asset. Think of it that way. So on a balance sheet, You got assets and liabilities and shareholder's equity. And your pro rata rights for seed stage investors are, you could call it accounts receivable on the asset side of the balance sheet.
0: At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers, constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com. In this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have Jonathan Struhl of Indicator Ventures. Jonathan, can you talk about your thesis and how you evaluate startups for investment and then maybe mention aspects of your approach that may be unique from other investors?
3: We have a concept called digital efficiencies. We invest in entrepreneurs that are leveraging digital, whether it's hardware or software, to make business or consumer life more efficient. So it's really all about making the world more efficient through technology. So while we're a little more opportunistic, you know, we're an early micro VC, seed stage fund, staying opportunistic is important for us, but also we look for really important indicators when we invest. Revenue and a real business model is important for us. So I was talking about East Coast versus West Coast investing. I mean, we harp a lot on revenue. A lot of that was what we've learned from angel investing and investing in companies that don't have real revenue or a plan uh, to real revenue, which is really important for us. Additionally, we evaluate early stage startups uh, a lot of times through the lens of our team. So we have 17 experts that help us with everything from deal flow to due diligence to portfolio maintenance. And these 17 experts are industry-specific influencers, so to speak, and help us evaluate startups and send us deals as well. But I think another thing to point out, and there's been this, this craze around the millennial VC. I'm not that young. I have a lot of experience in investing and seen hundreds of companies, thousands of companies over my life. And I'm a user of a lot of this stuff. So you look at sort of the Snapchats in the world. I use Snapchat. Me and my friends are on Snapchat on a daily basis. You look at some of the other VCs, and it's about... My son or my daughter uses Snapchat, or even worse, my grandson or my granddaughter (laughs) uses Snapchat, so I'm going to make the investment. I'm the user of, of a lot of this stuff, and I try to invest through that lens and try to bring my young network in as well. Is this something that you guys would use? And if people of my generation would use this and are actually using it, that's a key indicator for us.
0: That will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening.